Life's going okay. You go to church. Your relationships are relatively healthy. You're happy overall. But really, why settle for just okay? Jesus came so you might have life and have it to the full. There's so much more of God's goodness to taste and see. You only get one life. Live well. everybody. Welcome to Eaglebrook Church. So excited to have you with us today, whether you're at one of our campuses, watching this message online someplace around the world, or here at Lionel Lakes with us as well. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Live Well, where we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. And we got that title from Deuteronomy 5.33, where right after Moses gets done giving the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he says this to them. He says, walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you. So he does want us to obey these things, but then he gives us the reason why. So that you may live well and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. The Ten Commandments weren't given to restrict you. They're not a list of rules or regulations. God gave the Ten Commandments because he wants us to live well. Today's message is titled, Do Not Covet. And we got that highly creative title from the last of the Ten Commandments, which says this. It says, do not covet, there's our title, your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that your neighbor owns. Friends, the Bible is very clear about this. You need to stop coveting your neighbor's donkey. <laughs> now, of course, most of our neighbors don't own a donkey. They might be a donkey, but that's, that's not the same thing. And so the question becomes, how does this verse actually apply to our lives? Well, first of all, the 10th commandment, do not covet, is an internal command. It's some heart issue. Do not murder, do not steal, do not lie. All of those refer to external actions. But do not covet is different. It's internal. It's a heart issue, which is what makes it so tricky. Because you can covet and no one else would know that you are. I mean, when you murder, when you steal, when you lie, people see that, people will know that. But you can covet and not have anyone else find out. In fact, maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, how does do not covet make it into the Ten Commandments? I get why we don't murder. That seems pretty obvious. I get why I shouldn't steal, that hurts other people, but do not covet, that doesn't hurt anyone else. And don't we live in a world that sort of promotes coveting? On July 3rd, our family was watching TV when all of a sudden there was a commercial for Wendy's new Baconator fries. They had me at the word Baconator. That's not even a real word, but when you combine the word bacon with the word Terminator, you know that has to be good. These french fries were deep fried in some fatty oil, smothered with nacho cheese, and then topped with bacon. And the commercial made them look delicious. Now, I will just admit to you, I am a sucker for food commercials. When I order at a restaurant, I do not read the description of food. I look at the pictures. 
That is the best way to make that decision. I'm kind of like a six-year-old in that way. And so when my two oldest sons and I saw this advertisement for the Baconator fries on July 3rd, we were like, I want that. And then it was, I need that. And then it was, if I die on the 4th of July without ever having sampled the Baconator fries, our lives will have been a complete waste. I'm not kidding you. We saw this ad on July 3rd, went to my wife's family's cabin on the 4th of July, but then on July 5th, we were at Wendy's for lunch. That's how much this commercial affected my life. And the fries were good, but not great. They had too much cheese on them, but they did have bacon, so that was awesome. Now, I know what some of you are going to do. I know some of you. You're going to Wendy's after church today. <laughs> and I know this about you because a couple of months ago, I told a story about eating at a Waffle House. And for the whole rest of that week, I was getting like three pictures a day on my Twitter feed. People showing me their waffles, their menu at the Waffle House. That's how they chose to apply the message that week. <laughs> so I'm on to some of you. You're not going to stop coveting at all after today, but you will go to Wendy's. So thank you uh, for that. Now, did you know that if you live until the age of 65, on average, you will see 2 million commercials in your lifetime? 2 million. Advertisers spend $78 billion every single year on commercials. That's $78 billion to try to get you to go, I want that. I need that. My life won't be complete unless I own that. And that's not counting billboards, radio spots, print ads. I mean, if you're a guy, you can't even use a public restroom anymore without having an advertisement put in your face. In fact, recently they did a survey among teenage girls. And in that survey, they found that 93% of teenage girls said that their number one favorite pastime activity was shopping. That beat out dating by a mile. <laughs> Guys, take note. They like shopping more than they like you. Okay? Skip the gym, get a job. That's what that data is telling you to do, all right? <laughs> Pastor Rick Warren once said that a man told him that if his wife doesn't go shopping at least three times a week, he sends her a get well card. Wants to know what is wrong with my wife. And that's the world that we live in. And it's into that world that the Bible says, do not covet. What is coveting? Let me give you a definition. To covet is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. Notice the word uncontrolled. There's nothing wrong with wanting things. God has filled this world with all kinds of exciting, wonderful, desirous things like bacon, and he has given you a desire to acquire them. Nothing wrong with that. But the Bible says that there are some things that are not yours to have. Like your neighbor's wife, for example. That's not yours. And there are others. Look again at this commandment with me. It says this, Do not covet your neighbor's house, but their house is bigger than my house. And they've got a farm sink, and they've got crown molding, and they don't have popcorn ceilings. They've got this like cool refurbished wood with beams. I've been watching a lot of HGTV lately, if you can't tell. <laughs> and they've got such a great backyard. I mean, I'd be so much happier if I lived in that house. 
do not covet your neighbor's wife. But she doesn't nag me. And she's so fun. You know those issues that my wife and I have that we don't agree about? Well, she agrees with me. She gets me. She's with me on that. I think I should have married her in the first place. Do not covet your neighbor's donkey. Now, I made fun of this at the beginning. But in this culture, a donkey was a form of transportation. Today, we have cars and we have trucks. But his truck has more towing capacity than my truck has. And his car has built-in GPS and Wi-Fi. In other words, maybe this commandment is more relevant to our lives than we think. The Bible says, do not covet your neighbor's house, spouse, car, or any other possession. But why? What are the effects of coveting on a person's life? Real quick, let me give you five effects of coveting. The first one is this, fatigue. Proverbs 23, do not wear yourself out to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. How many of us here today are just worn out? It's tiring always trying to get more. Adds a stress or a burden to your life. Second effect of coveting is debt. Proverbs 22, the borrower is the slave to the lender. Coveting makes you a slave. It causes you to take out loans, borrow lines of credit, pay an enormous amount of money to interest. Not only that, but coveting destroys budgets. You know, we fill out our budget and we look at it and we go, you know, I'm just not making enough money. Usually that's not the problem. Usually the problem is not that we don't make enough money. Usually the problem is that we want too much. A lot of what we call needs in America today are really greeds. In fact, did you know that the average American spends $1,300 for every $1,000 of income that they bring in? In time, that won't work. The borrower is slave to the lender. Not owing anyone anything, friends, is freedom. It is freedom from worrying about money. It is freedom from conflict over money. It is freedom from paying an enormous amount to interest or having that debt cloud hang over your head. It is freedom. Here's a third effect of coveting. Worry. In fact, you may want to jot this down. But the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Isn't that true? The more you have, the more you have to worry about. All of a sudden you start thinking, well, how am I going to insure that? And I got to pay taxes on that. And I got to make sure it looks as nice as it did on the day that I bought it. So don't use that. Don't go in there. Don't touch that. The more you have, the more you have to worry about. Here's a fourth effect of coveting. Conflict. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a great question. He says, don't they come from the desires that battle within? Here's why we have conflict. We have conflict because of our desires. We want more attention. We want more recognition. We want more possessions. And so we have conflict. This is why the number one reason people get a divorce in America today is still finances. You look at any survey or study and they'll say it was financial pressure and stress that caused our marriage to end. Number one reason. I read that and I think, how sad is that? Do you want to sacrifice your marriage for money? 
Do you think your kids would prefer peace in your house? Or do you think they just want more stuff? I think we all know what the answer to that question is. And I understand that investments can go bad and unexpected expenses can occur. But as far as it depends on you, do not let money become a source of conflict in your home. Here's a final effect of coveting, and it might be the biggest. Dissatisfaction. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, You will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. You will never get all that you want. Human beings like change. We get a little bored if there's not enough change. Just look at fashion, for example. It changes. I was at a church out in California a couple years ago, and their worship pastor was so cool. But he was wearing this sweater that I could only describe to you as like an Aztec sweater. It was this puffy thing with trees and Aztec-like symbols on it. It was something that if my grandma had given it to me for Christmas, I would have been like, oh, thank Never would have worn it. I would have been afraid of getting beaten up in high school. But it's trendy today. And he was wearing it with these tight jeans rolled up to here and boat shoes. And he was like the coolest ever. I thought fashions change. Styles change. And the reason that they change is because companies and executives want you to walk into your house and go, Oh, we need to redecorate this thing. We need to remodel this thing. We at least need to update and upgrade because I am so dissatisfied right now. Here's what you need to know. It always costs more to get more. Always costs more to get more. And as Pastor Rick Warren says, if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you can bet the water bill is higher too. <laughs> and that is very, very true. Can you start to see why coveting makes it into the Ten Commandments? Coveting leads to fatigue. It leads to debt, worry, conflict, and dissatisfaction in your life. I don't think I'm overstating this to say that if you could obey this one commandment, you would live so well. You would live so much better if you were to obey this commandment. Do not covet. But how do we do that? our time left, let me give you three ways not to covet, to obey this command. The first one is this, learn to admire without having to acquire. My wife and I recently were at a family camp, and on one of the nights that we were there, while our kids were in programming, we took a walk around an adjacent neighborhood. And this neighborhood was incredible. It had these mature trees, wildlife, large lots. On one side of the street was a golf course, and on the other side of the street was a lake. And these houses were right in between. I mean, think about that. Golf course on one side, beautiful lake on the other. I was told that there was a lot of Chicago money that lived around this lake, and you could tell. Because most of the homes were in the latest styles. Some of them had these beautiful patios with fire pits overlooking the lake. And as we walked along, I couldn't help but think to myself, my life would be so much less stressful if I lived here. <laughs> I could just picture myself sitting out on this patio, fire pit, listening to the water lap in off the lake. And then I saw that there were some lots for sale. And I thought, oh, maybe we should look into this thing. I wasn't thinking about the fact that we were four hours away from our house. 
I wasn't thinking about the fact that I'd have to take out a huge loan just to buy the property, let alone the house. I wasn't thinking about the fact that my kids play sports and I work on weekends, so we'd hardly ever use this thing. I wasn't thinking about mowing two lawns, insuring two houses, paying property taxes, or making repairs. All I could think about was the lie that my life would be so much more relaxing if I lived there. Friends, we need to learn to admire without having to acquire. Let me ask you, when somebody that you're close to gets a brand new car, deep in your heart, what do you think? Do you think, oh, I'm so happy for you, that's great. Or is there something in you that goes, but I wanted that. (laughs) What about when someone that you know gets a beautiful new home? Or they update their kitchen. Is there something inside of you that goes, oh, that's fantastic. I'm so happy for you. Or do you go, but I needed that. What about when somebody at work gets promoted to the position that you had your eye on, that you had really wanted? Can you celebrate with them? Or do you find yourself bitter and resentful? What about when there's somebody who's super skinny and they run their own successful business from home And all the while that they're doing that, they somehow keep a super clean and cute house. Let's not push it. Those people are jerks, okay? (laughs) They really are. You see, one of the great lessons in life is learning to admire without having to acquire. Because so many of the best things in life are free. I was thinking about this recently when I took our kids down to a beach off of Lake Minnetonka. And I'm out in the water and I'm looking at these homes right off of Lake Minnetonka and they're incredible. But as I'm standing in this beach, I had this thought. I'm swimming in the same lake that they swim in. I'm at the same beach that they're going to go to. I'm going to walk over to the same Ben and Jerry's and order fish food and marshmallow raspberry ice cream that they're going to order. I can close my eyes and feel the sun. I can read a book. I can throw a football to my boys. I can hold my wife's hand. So many of the best things in life are free. I can admire those homes off of Lake Minnetonka, but I don't have to acquire one of them. Second way not to covet is this. No more when-then thinking. When then thinking says, when I get this, fill in the blank, or whatever that is, then I will be happy. What is that for you? What is it that you go, well, when I get this, then I will be happy? When I graduate, when I retire, when we build, when I get that, finally get that 65 scarlet red Mustang, when I get that lake house in Wisconsin, you know, the one between the golf course and the lake that you were talking about? Then I'll be happy. What are you waiting on for your happiness? When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I get out of this marriage, then I'll be happy. When I date this person, then I will really be happy. Friends, no more when-then thinking. When-then thinking never works. You are as happy as you want to be. In fact, see if you agree with this statement or not. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying what God has given to you. See, I think one of the great signs of maturity in a person's life is being able to say, Lord, I have enough. 
And there's only two ways that you get to that point. You either get more or you want less. Those are your only two options. Either get more, more than you have right now, or you want less. And I'm telling you, it's a lot easier to want less because more is a black hole. It'll always let you down. Even when you get more house, more spouse, more car, more possessions, there's always more that you could get. More is never satisfied. More is never enough. And therefore, more is never happy. That's why you have to decide. Am I going to allow my lifestyle to be determined by the culture which every day is bombarding me with 30-second commercials saying, you need more? Or am I going to allow my lifestyle to be determined by Christ who says, I am more than enough for you? Will you follow the master or will you follow Madison Avenue? No more wind than thinking. Thank God for what you have today. Look what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul writes, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Notice that he doesn't say thankful for all circumstances. You need not be thankful for cancer. You need not be thankful for a job loss, a miscarriage, aging. You need not be thankful for those circumstances. But the Bible says it is possible to be thankful in every circumstance. I recently saw speaker Greg Speck use Limburger cheese as an analogy. How many of you know what Limburger cheese is? For those of you that don't know what Limburger cheese is, it's a cheese that smells like a cross between a skunk and vomit. Okay? That's pretty much what it is. Now, if I could find a volunteer to come up on stage, and you don't have to raise your hand because this would be too painful, but I would take this Limburger cheese and I would smear it on your upper lip right underneath your nose. I would then take these roses and I would stick them up to your nose and I would say, smell the roses. Don't they smell incredible? And you would say, no. They do not smell incredible. They smell like a cross between a skunk and vomit. Because when you have Limburger cheese underneath your nose, everything stinks. There are some of us here today who, from a spiritual perspective, have Limburger cheese smeared underneath our nose. Everything just stinks. My car stinks. My house stinks. I go to Parade of Homes. I watch HGTV. I go home. I think, my house just stinks. My job, it stinks. I look at every other job, and I would rather have that one. My spouse, oh, my spouse stinks. You don't even know. My vacation stunk. Rain the whole time, no fun. My childhood stunk. My parents completely messed me up. My dinner stinks, not what I ordered at all. And the Vikings, I mean, come, are you kidding me? The Vikings stink. Here's what you need to know. It's not always your circumstances that stink. The reality is that it's our perspective that stinks. It's our attitude that stinks. Once again, Paul says this. He says, be thankful in all circumstances. Why? 
He says, for this is God's will for you. God's will for your life has less to do with what job you get or house you get. And it has more to do with you being thankful in all circumstances. He says, this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you have so much to be thankful for. You have the hope of eternal life. You have forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. You have a God who will hear your prayers. Billions of people in this world. And you can call out to God and he will hear your voice. You can be thankful to be alive today. Another day to enjoy God and to serve him with your life. Thank God for this church. To sing to God and to hear teaching from his word that God would want to speak into our lives. Thank God for the people who give generously to this place so we can have a roof over our head and a comfortable seat to sit in. Thank God for the transportation to get here, for the food in our stomach that gave us energy and strength. No more when then thinking. Thank God for what you have today. Here's the third way not to covet in your life. It's this, resist the comparison trap. Many people believe that we're living in an era that is being defined by social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Many of us check our feeds multiple times a day. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we realize what social media is. Social media is people projecting their best version of themselves. Let me ask you, do you think it's healthy to expose your heart your mind, your thoughts to another person's best version of themselves multiple times a day. Pastor Kyle Eidelman says it's like receiving somebody's Christmas card every day of the year. I mean, I like getting Christmas cards and reading about your incredible accomplishments and achievements over that past year. I like getting the picture with your kids and every hair is in place and there's no food on their face. I like that about once a year but I don't know if I want to see it multiple times a day, every day of the year. Now, I get it. We're always going to post what we want other people to see. I mean, it would be ridiculous to do otherwise. Even the no makeup pictures have a little bit of that to them. And I'm on Facebook, and I'm on social media. I like those things, as long as you recognize what they are. I was recently reading an article by a woman named Sally Schultes. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. And she wrote an article called Humble Brag, Motherhood's Latest Pastime. Schultes has noticed this trend, mostly among moms, but I think it would apply to others as well, where people want to post something on social media that portrays them in a favorable light, but they still want to appear humble in doing so. She calls it a humble brag. Here's an example of a humble brag for you. We're going too many directions and are taking a break from baseball this year. Hashtag, let the kids be kids. Reality, I missed the baseball sign-up and my son and I got in a huge fight. Hashtag, too busy Facebooking. <laughs> Humble brag, we're taking a stand. No more iPads for the kids. Hashtag, family time. Reality, my kid dropped the iPad and broke it and I lost my temper. Hashtag, I sounded demon-possessed. See, social media is a great way to connect with people, 
It's a great way to find out what's going on in their life. But where it starts to fall apart is when those feeds and those images start to do something to your spirit. That's when you've fallen into the comparison trap. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, we dare not. That is strong language. We dare not classify or compare ourselves. He says, it is not wise. The context of this verse is Paul defending his authority. The Corinthians had begun to compare him to other apostles and other teachers. And they're like, you know, you're you're not as funny as he is, and you're not as deep as he is, and you're really not as well-spoken as that guy over there. And Paul says, I dare not compare myself to another teacher. Last week, if you were here, I opened with an illustration that I had seen Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in North Carolina use, and I thought it was really creative. And so when I was watching it for the first time, I thought, how did he think of this? This is such a great idea. How come I don't think of creative ideas like that? And Furtick, if you've seen him, is a dynamic communicator. I mean, he's so dynamic. There are times when he's just got the crowd in a frenzy. And he's like this old school preacher who's just, you know, yelling and they're all clapping and going nuts. I can do that maybe once every other year. But I am half Norwegian and half Swedish. So I would need a Red Bull mixed with a Kickstarter to pull that off at all. Not only that, but this guy is a fashionista, okay? Take a look at the side screens here. He's got the deep V-neck, the skinny jeans, the high-top shoes, and he might not even be the most fashionable pastor in America. Take a look at this guy, Judah Smith. I mean, this guy puts the hip in hipster, right? He is well-dressed, well-styled pastor. Do you think I could pull an outfit off like that? Would you like to see me try? We actually have a changing station right back here. And we've got some changing music for you, just to kind of build the anticipation and get you all excited and hyped up. And I told our staff this week, I said, for just a moment, go out and get me an outfit that will make me the most trendy, the most fashionable pastor in America. I will be back in less than one minute. Cut the music, cut the music. 
can't really breathe right now because <laughs> these jeans have pushed my abdomen up into my lungs. So if I pass out or stop breathing, just don't have to call 911, just get me some relaxed fit jeans, okay, and I'll be just fine. Now, I actually have a point to this, and I'm going to take these off so you can take me seriously as I give it. But here's my point. I'm not Stephen Furtick or Judah Smith. I thank God for them. I mean, they teach Christ in a dynamic way, and apparently they have really skinny thighs. So I praise God for both of those two facts for them. But I dare not. I dare not try to be them. I dare not try to compare myself to them. Who is it in your life that you look at and go, I'm comparing myself to them? I, I wish I had that voice. I wish I could sing like they do. I, I wish I could decorate like she does. Wish my kids behaved like theirs do. I, I wish that I was funny or outgoing like he is. I wish I had that house, that spouse, that car, or those possessions. I, looked, I wish I looked like him or her that I was that age or that size. I wish that I could lead like they do. I wish I could teach and speak like they do. Who is it in your life that you're looking at and you're comparing yourself to them? Don't you dare. Don't you dare compare yourself to someone else. In fact, I meet a lot of adults today who they have spent their whole life comparing themselves to their siblings. You know, growing up, their sister, she was the pretty one, and their brother, he was the athletic one. And their sister, she was the smart one, and their brother, he was the funny and outgoing one. And so when you ask them, well, what are you? The only answer you get is, not that. Not the pretty one, not the smart one, not the athletic one. You're going to go through your whole life defining how God made you and created you because around your brother or your sister. Are you going to go through your whole life comparing yourself to someone else? Here's what coveting really comes down to. Coveting is resisting God's goodness in someone else's life, is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life, and ignoring God's goodness in our own. And when something good happens to another person, deep down in our heart, there's part of us that goes, you know what, why did they get that? Why did they have that happen to them? Why don't I get those kinds of things? We resent God's goodness in someone else's life, and all the while we ignore his goodness in our own. If that's you, and I think it's all of us to a certain extent, I want you to do two things this week. Write down your spiritual gifts. If you don't know them, ask somebody else, what are the spiritual gifts that God has given to me? And then begin to use those for God's kingdom and not just your own. And then make this a matter of prayer. Next time you're coveting something, just go, Lord, make me content with what I have. And begin to thank God for who he is and how he's created you to be. Because God wants the best for you. Doesn't want someone else's best for you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to live well. And with that, let's pray so I can get out of these clothes. Okay? Stand with us at all of our campuses. Lord, I pray for those of us here who this is a real issue. We find ourselves frequently dissatisfied in our life. Dissatisfied with ourselves, dissatisfied with who you've created us to be, dissatisfied with what we have and what we own. 
And God, really the reason is that we compare, we covet, we desire something that you had given to someone else. God, I pray today that you would set us free from that. By the power of your Holy Spirit, God, set us free from comparing ourselves from, to other people, from coveting what other people have. And may we be thankful for the gifts that you have given to us. That we may begin to be thankful for your goodness in our own life, God. I pray that we would be content. I pray that you would develop that in us, God, this week. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.